I don't know if you've ever had those moments, but I have, even this week, where you wondered if you could figure out what was the right thing to do. Anybody else ever gone through that? For the three of you that acknowledge that. <laughs> Thank you. Every once in a while, or maybe once a month, or uh, maybe every day, we have those moments, don't we? Where it's like, is this the right thing? Oh, I know the pious answer is, well, just open your Bible, take a look, and you'll know what the right thing to do is. And yet there are those times when we wonder, is this right? Sometimes what we wonder is, is this the right time? I know the right thing, but is this the right time? And the Christmas story is all about the right thing at the right time in the right place. Yeah, <laughs> That must be nice. But here's the best part. Jesus Christ coming at the right time. In the right place. Was for you. And for me. Even when we wrestle with it. It was the summer of none of your business. It was the year before my senior year in high school. The location was Marion, Indiana, on the campground of Northeastern Indiana District of the Church of the Nazarene. The event was teen camp, and I was there. But it was a tough week. Oh, the camp was great. My friends were great. And, you know, the activities were wonderful. But it was a tough week. Because, you see, I was wrestling with this whole thing of the Christmas story. I know it was July. But you see, what I was wrestling with was the right thing at the right time. And did it apply to me? I grew up hearing that it did. I grew up watching my parents. My dad was a pastor. Of course I knew. But I was wrestling with it. And then this really annoying thing happened that week. A music group from Olivet Nazarene University was there, and that's usually a neat thing, but not this week. They just irritated me to no end. They, on the very first day, instituted this routine and ritual that we were to do all week, and I hated it. See, what they did is they would, at the most inopportune moment, shout out this phrase, and then we were told, how we were supposed to respond. The phrase was attitude check. 
heading into my senior year of high school. So attitude, I got. I was trying to figure this thing out. Where am I? Where am I not? Is it time? Have I made the right decision? Will I make the right decision? Attitude check. I didn't need. Especially because whenever it was stated, and they would do this even in the cafeteria. They would do it out on the ball field. I mean, those are two places at a church camp. Come on. And we were supposed to say, I can't even do it. They would yell attitude check and we were supposed to respond with powerful, bold voices. Praise the Lord. Even in the cafeteria. Even when we were playing ball. Even when my team was losing. Even when the girl I asked out said no. Oh, don't worry, I'm much better off now. But I didn't think so then. Attitude check! And I must confess to you that on one, two, or 200 times that week when it happened, I didn't always say, praise the Lord. And a few of the times when I did, I did it through gritted teeth. Now that's a joyous sound. Say, what was the problem? The problem was I had yet to believe personally. I had yet to embrace for myself that Jesus Christ loved me. I knew the songs. I could memorize the scripture. I was a whiz at Sunday school trivia. But I had yet to personally embrace the truth that I was loved by my creator. For you see, we lit the candle of love this morning. That glorious night that the kids reenacted for us. The Christmas event itself is really all about love. The wise men brought gifts, not out of obligation. At that point, that ritual and tradition hadn't even started. The shepherds came, not because it was popular. I mean, come on, the baby was born in a stable. But it all was because of love. 
Matthew 1, when Joseph realized that his fiance, who he had not been with, was pregnant. He was going to divorce her, put her away. But he was a kind and righteous man, didn't want to embarrass her and have any ridicule come on her. So he was going to do it quietly. But then the angel spoke to him and Joseph realized this is love. Mary, a virgin, engaged, was told, you're going to be with child from God the creator and you're going to deliver a newborn baby, the Messiah. And she asked the most appropriate question, how? The question that's not recorded that I know she also asked was, why me? And then her answer in Luke chapter 2, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, after the angel had explained to her, she said in verse 38 of Luke 1, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What she said was, I don't understand. I can identify with that. What she said was, I don't feel worthy. <laughs> yep. But what she said was, Yes, to the love of God. Joseph said, this doesn't make sense. People aren't going to understand. But what he did was, yes, to the love of God. The shepherds, the lowly, they weren't even allowed to be reliable witnesses in a court of law. They were shunned. They were the first to hear the good news. And it says they hurried in to check it out. They didn't casually come in. They didn't say, if we wait five minutes till the announcements are done, that'll be better. <laughs> no. Oh, I could go on. They took off, checked it out. And then in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that the shepherds, when they had seen the baby, verse 17 of Luke 2, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured all these things up, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just like they'd been told. And Don and Janelle read for us John 3.16. That's not part of the Christmas story. Oh, yes, it is. In fact, it's the essence of the Christmas story. For God so loved the world, he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For it's all about love. We've been talking for four weeks now about a Christmas revolution. 
that it's time for a revolution, a change from what was to what should be. And we said that first week, a revolution always starts with hope. Without hope, there is no revolution. There is a hope that it can be different. And we always think better. In this case, it's true. And then that second week when we took a look at that, we understood that a revolution begins with hope. And when it is fulfilled, it produces peace. Even in lousy circumstances. Any of you see the guy who started playing the piano in his house? The roof was gone. The house was destroyed. And he just started playing Amazing Grace and a bunch of other songs that talked about the love, mercy, and peace of God. Why? Because he had the hope of the Savior, which produced peace even when everything else was lost. And you see, where there is hope and peace, there is always joy. Not happiness, because happiness is dependent on the circumstances. If the roof's off your house, you're not happy. If the report from the doctor is bad, you're not happy. If you get a pink slip, from work, you're not happy. If you got aches and pains, you're not happy. But you can still have joy because it's based on the relationship with Christ. But you see, you have to understand this. The hope, the peace, and the joy was all ignited by love. That is what started it. Because of the love, there's hope. Because of the love, there can be peace. Because of the love, we can have joy. For God so loved that he gave. That's why the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, said that the Savior was coming, the child was going to be born, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and that the end of his reign would never come. <laughs> that's what forever means. Forever means there is no end. And that's the hope we have. That's what this thing is all about. A revolution of love starts when you accept Christ's love personally. That summer at teen camp in Marion, Indiana, I didn't make that choice. I was still wrestling with it. It wasn't until about eight or nine months later that I finally got tired of wrestling and said yes. And since then, it's not always been easy. <laughs> it's not always been perfect. Things have not always gone my way. Thank goodness. But they have gone his. And I've done my best to follow his way. You see, this revolution of love that should be taking place at Christmas 
has to start with you, just like it had to start with me to accept it personally. You got to realize that God loves you passionately. One of the churches I pastored, we had a, a youth speaker come in for a few days and did a retreat with our teens. And his main message was, did you know that Jesus Christ loves you passionately? Not passively, not casually, not formally, but passionately. You need to realize that God, the creator of the universe, loves you passionately. So much so that he gave his only son for you. You see, Christ desires a personal relationship with you. He desires it. And you see, we show our relationship with Christ by how we handle our relationships with others. If I say I love Jesus, but I don't show you love, that's a contradiction. One of those is off. In fact, both of them are. See, to claim to be a follower of Christ and love him means I love others. And yes, I can like, I can love people I don't like. <laughs> Meaning, we don't agree on everything. There's some things that we'll never agree on. And yet, if I'm loving him, I love like he did. For God so loved the world. Not just those who followed him on Facebook. Not just those who agreed with him. But we're to love as he did. That's when a revolution is going to take place, starting personally. And if you don't this morning realize that Jesus Christ, God's son, loves you passionately, my prayer is that this would be the time when you say yes to that. So you don't have to fully understand it to say yes. On August 9th, a few years ago, Jody and I said, yes, I'm contractually forbidden from saying publicly what year it was. It's more than 10. We said yes. We have a great marriage, but we will both tell you we've worked hard at it. And we will also both tell you we were so foolish when we got married. We said yes, and we didn't have a clue. <laughs> but we thought we did. We didn't. But you see, the one thing we did not doubt was we loved each other. And we had committed to that. Jesus Christ loves you. You don't have to understand it. Just accept it. A revolution of love requires not just that personal relationship, but it requires loving actions. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved that he gave. Matthew 1, 24 and 25, Joseph decided not to put Mary away, not to divorce her. See, he couldn't divorce her. He was engaged in their culture. A legal engagement required a divorce to end it. There was nothing casual about an engagement in those days. You didn't rent your engagement ring like some jewelry stores advertise. Boy, now talk about not saying love. <laughs> With this ring I rented, I sort of commit to you. Yeah, who's saying yes to that? And see, that's not what God did. He went all in. By his actions, and we're to do the same. God demonstrated his love by what he gave. And he continues to do this by what he does over and over and over. Now, to be a Christ follower means I follow him, not just where he goes, but what he does. So since God loves everyone, I am too. Love them as well. He gave, I'm to give. We demonstrate love with loving actions. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You see, our actions should reinforce our stated beliefs. If you don't get anything else and you claim to be a follower of Christ, take this one to heart. Our actions, what we do, as well as what we say, should reinforce what we claim to believe. That means when nobody's looking and when everybody's watching. That means in public and at home. That means that our actions should point people to Jesus because we love. A revolution of love requires communicating that love also. Now I realize some of you, you hate this point. <laughs> you go, no, 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 I'm not the mushy type. Doesn't, no, 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 no. Maybe buy a Hallmark card once in a while. That's it. I told him or her when we got married on that day, I loved them. And if anything changes, I'll let them know. <laughs> no. See, love requires communicating love. God did. He gave us a whole book of it. God did. The baby in the manger. God did. Jesus on the cross. God did. An empty tomb communicated that love. For God so loved that he gave. The essence of Christmas. A revolution of love requires communicating love. Bob Goff wrote a book that I love 
a few years ago with the classic title, Love Does. In fact, in there, he had a radical idea. He said, we need to quit having Bible studies. He said, we need to have Bible doings. He said, some of us need to quit studying it and start doing what we've already studied. Amen. It's all right. I said it. You don't have to. We need to communicate it with our actions as well as with our words. We communicate by what we do as well as what we say. Love does, but love also says. While on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. We don't have to communicate slickly. In fact, it usually doesn't impress people. We need to communicate honestly and lovingly. Communicate love clearly and continually. (laughs) I'm not sure it's possible to say you love someone too much. But if it is possible, what a wonderful way to be annoyed. I'm so tired of hearing I'm loved. Well, poor you. Make that Hallmark movie. Communicate it. Not just clearly, but continually. Does that involve actions? Absolutely. And if you're saying it and not doing it, your words will mean nothing. Did you get that? If you're saying it but not doing it, eh, you've negated your words. But if you're doing it and then saying it also, all the time? No, no but I'm going to guess that everybody that I can see here and who's watching me online, we could all do it a little more with one another as well as to our Heavenly Father. To just say, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Communicate it. You see, if we would begin to do this, a revolution would happen. So as we've done every week, here's the game plan for this part of it. To create a revolution of love means we must. Okay, this you got the word must, right? Not multiple choice. Must. To create a revolution of love means we must, first of all, be in love with Jesus Christ ourselves. Understand it all? Don't worry about that. Accept his love and love him. To create a revolution of love means we must live this love. Live it out in our actions daily. Not just on Sunday. Not just when we have the Christian radio station on. Not just when we see somebody's bumper sticker and honk. 
Not just when you honk because you're... That's another story. (laughs) Daily actions will enhance your witness. Daily. To create a revolution of love means we must say it loud, (laughs) proud, and often. That we love him and letting others know we love them. Saying it with our actions? Absolutely. Saying it with our words? Yeah. Now I realize for some of you, that's going to be the hardest thing. And you may need to do it through gritted teeth. I hope you don't show those gritted teeth to the person you're saying it to. But my thing is, just start. You may be surprised at how good that feels. Now, if you haven't been showing it or saying it, don't be surprised when you start to do that if somebody goes, what? I love the story John Maxwell told in his church when he challenged his church board because said that they realized that the place they were showing love the least, Christ's love, That unconditional, all-encompassing love was at home. And so they made a determination. They covenanted with one another. They were going to start to really show, say, and share the love of Jesus in their homes above everything else. They picked a day to start it. It happened to be a Saturday. And they said at 8 a.m. on that Saturday, we're going to start showing it. John said at 8.20, his phone rang with the spouse of one of his board members saying, What's wrong with my spouse? They're treating us wonderfully. So some of you may get misunderstood. Do it anyway. Show it. Say it. And lastly, if we're going to create a revolution of love, we need to be known for our love. We can be known for a lot of things. How awesome if we're known for our love. Individually, in our home, and as a church body. Wouldn't it be great if in the Sterling Rock Falls area, if First Church of the Nazarene gets mentioned, they go, I don't know much else, but man, they sure love people over there. I don't know that that's always being said now. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was always said? Wouldn't it be awesome if when people went by your house, they, I don't know much about them, but they seem to really love people. Wouldn't it be great if where you work, where you shop, you were identified because they go, I can't remember their name, but they seem to love everybody. A revolution of love is what we've been called to. Let me ask you, What are you known for? If your name gets mentioned, you get pointed out, and they go, oh, that's, and they are. What are you known for? And let me ask this. Can people know who you love by your actions and your words? Do they know who you love? By how you act and what you say.
family and Jesus, others. The story of Christmas is a love story. The story of Christmas provides hope, peace, and joy. But it all comes back to love. Do you love him? He loves you. Lord, thank you for loving us, unworthy as we may be. Well, thank you for loving us that way. Thank you for loving us too much to leave us that way as well. Lord, I pray for the one who's here this morning who needs to begin to believe that you love them passionately. Who needs to begin to believe the truth that they are loved by you and begin to dispel the lies that they're not lovable. Lord, I pray for that family that needs to begin showing and sharing and saying, I love you. I pray for that friendship that needs to restore the love. And Lord, I pray that this body of believers would begin creating a revolution of love where we live, where we work, where we shop, where we go to school, where we worship, and wherever we go. Lord, may the love start now. In Jesus' name, amen.